The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield today. Joining us to talk the trade is Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, thanks for joining us today. As we start here, let's talk grain trade. A mixed close on the day overall. Corn in the green, wheat and soybeans both fairly in the red for the most part. As we look, grains have a great big week ahead of them. So let's just kind of break it down and talk about each one of these events coming up. First, we have crop progress report out this afternoon. Is everybody going to be watching this harvest completion numbers? Yeah, I think we are, Clay, because I think the models have gotten it mostly right from last week, where it looked as though as we got into the first week, the first full week of November, we would start to see a lot colder, a lot wetter weather, and I think that's indeed upon us now. And uh, it seems as though the last couple, three model runs, we've seen temperatures drop pretty consistently uh, in just about every model run, so that uh, hard freezes this week. Uh, are very possible for overnight lows and an issue with not being able to get much out of the 40s for most of this week and not maybe not even into next week we would be able to do that so your window of harvest is really closing in on us and i think to look at it from a standpoint of what the trade thinks is going to be harvested based upon the reuters average poll newswire estimate they're looking at 77 percent of the corn harvested uh, today on the report and 84 percent of the beans harvested to give you an idea just a rough math if you take the production number of corn into that harvest number we're still looking at about 3.4 billion bushels of corn still left out in the field if that 77 percent is right for the corn and about 750 million bushels of beans left out in the field if the 84 percent number is right so i think given the fact that we're in the middle of the trade tariffs and given the fact that we have a slower, more like 2009 harvest uh, going on, especially in some key states, uh, Iowa, North Dakota, Minnesota, and uh, Ohio will be probably three, four of the states that I'll really be looking at this afternoon to get an idea on. But given all that, I think it's real important uh, what we come in at. And if we go over the trade estimates, then we probably could look for some setback price action this this evening. And then the next item that's coming up for grains and really the entire marketscape, whether you want to talk outside influences uh, or this broad commodity sector as well, that's the U.S. midterm elections happening tomorrow. Of course, the results will start to come in Wednesday. What can we expect to see here in terms of market trade and market volatility due to the elections? Yeah, this is going to be a tough one from a standpoint of trying to read the tea leaves based upon who wins the House, who wins the Senate, and by how much. Um, because I do think, if and I'm going to be looking at the dollar, because I think most importantly out there in the next three months to finish this quarter and go into the first quarter of 2019, I hope that this election outcome will answer the question, the basic question, are we inflationary? In other words, is the world economy staying strong, led by the United States, and therefore we can go down in the dollar? Or are we starting to deflate and get weaker in both the U.S. and the world economy, led by China, which their figures do show a rather sharp slowdown in some of their most recent numbers the past couple of weeks. And what I'm really driving at, Clay, is that I believe that, you know, based upon the analysis, if you look at President Trump's uh, policies towards the Middle East, he has generally uh, inflated the prices of crude oil by the sanctions that we put on. 
if you look at his monetary policy, when the dollar started to go up and interest rates started to go up, he talked pretty negatively about Jerome Powell, the head of the uh, Federal Reserve. You look at his even his trade policies, other than some of the sanctions against the uh, against the Chinese, and you look at the fact that his tax policy and his uh, uh, business policy in terms of uh, limiting or pulling back on the regulations. All these things have been inflationary since his election, and that means the dollar is weakened. And so this, to me, is what the most important part of tomorrow's election outcome is. If the Democrats do win the House, as some think it will happen, but yet the Republicans gain more seats in the Senate, uh, maybe it curbs the ability of uh, the opposition to push impeachment of either Judge Kavanaugh or President Trump himself. However, if we start to see the House go to the Democrats and the Senate uh, is not really built upon by the Republicans, that maybe opens up a lot more power in the opposition. That could make a big difference in the dollar. Interesting stuff coming up again, discussing tomorrow's upcoming midterm elections. Now, grains, also one more big hurdle coming up this week that could really get things moving. That is the November WASDE report, the, the supply and demand estimates. Mike, what are the key numbers folks and producers need to be watching for coming out of that report? You know, it's going to be about exports, I think, Clay, because of the way we're looking at the year-to-date exports and what the sanctions have done to the corn and to the beans specifically. I'll give you an example for the soybeans. Is we could, I think, see two to three bushels taken off of the national yield if some of the anecdotal evidence uh, is correct in terms of producer updates as they were finishing up their bean harvest. Uh, the bean yields really started to drop, especially west of the Mississippi River. If we see a three-bushel decline in bean yields and we don't see any reduction in the export numbers, then we could be on a, a higher scale again or a higher trajectory again after the Thursday report, in my opinion, just because of the fact that that would take you into the below 700 million bushel carryover when it came to the soybean ending stocks for this year. If the USDA ends up not changing the yield in soybeans and keeps it elevated, but yet they also realize that the USDA agricultural attache is about 9 million tons below them in their official reading of Chinese imports of soybeans, we could swell that carryover to a billion bushels. That's the kind of uh, change and, and extreme we may be seeing on Thursday's report when it comes to supply demand. How much can that supply demand, real quickly, be? Ex- Last week's CFTC report showed that funds are short 663 million bushels. If it comes out at all bullish, could we see some serious short covering? I think we could, and it would be led by the meal, in my opinion, because it would open up the door that the Chinese would need to come to us faster, because we all pretty much agree in the trade, I think, that the Brazilians are essentially out of beans exportable supplies until March. So the tighter our supplies go, the more pressure uh, is put upon the Chinese. Again, we're talking with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics on the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton, again in for Susan Littlefield today. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, is joining us to talk the trade. Our first segment, recapping the grains in the week they've got ahead of them, whether it be crop progress reports, the midterm elections, or the WASDE report out on Thursday. Let's switch gears, Mike, now and talk about livestock. Unfortunately for live cattle, feeder cattle a day at triple-digit losses. Is this technical selling where we fell behind that point of support last Friday? Yeah, I think it is, especially given the fact that also last Friday we had the commitment of traders data come out, and it looked like they were well ahead of the curve, as they usually are, 
in terms of being long, given the fact that we did have some better cash prices throughout the month of October, um, and we did see weights drop a little bit as well in the last couple weeks of the month, Clay, I think the problem is is the feeder cattle market, and especially if you're going to get a long-term low put in place in the corn market, which I think this is probably one of the better opportunities for a long-term low in the corn because of the fact that the wheat market's been able to fight back several times when it's tried to go below $5 on the soft red wheat. So if the fat cattle market is, is you know susceptible to a correction, it's probably going to be because of the feeder cattle. We've had seven straight higher months of uh, higher highs and higher, almost higher closes as well in that monthly feeder chart. It's quite a chart to look at if you're a chartist. Take a look at the monthly feeder chart because it is pretty important to look at. We've taken out that support line drawn off the low from all the way back in April. And uh, it opens the door up that the first support level is probably going to be around 146.50. That's a retracement level. And then if we take that out, you're probably opening yourself up back to the lows from June of around 142. So it could be pretty swift, in my opinion, Clay, because you also have the box beef prices, the ground beef prices really kind of get sick in terms of the seasonality of the last couple, three years, heading into the last part of the fourth quarter into the first quarter of the next year. When it comes to cash cattle prices, we finally have seen this emergence of cash cattle and the futures prices starting to come together. Will cash cattle quickly react to any change in the futures prices right now? I think they will because I think the funds did get long on the idea that the cash market wasn't going to back down. You know, we had that battle line drawn probably a month and a half or so ago where we were stuck at 112, 113. Uh, a lot of people thought we were going to go into the 108s, 107s, but the fundamentals really did justify, at least to me, going towards the 112 to 115 area uh, or staying at 112 and heading towards the 115 area. I think the funds caught up with that. I think also you look at what the feeder cattle have been able to do over the past seven months. Why did we rally so sharply? I mean, those lows from back in April are drawn off the 128.50 level. So you're talking about a, a significant rally of almost $35, $40 in the feeder cattle over the last seven months. So retracement, I don't think, is a, a, a big negative. One other thing that happened was that USDA came out with their long-term estimates, their baseline projections, as they call them, for the grains and livestock last week. A lot of people got a lot of press and a lot of attention on the uh, on the corn and bean and wheat side, but they didn't really talk a lot about the livestock, including me. And USDA is saying the beef cattle cycle is going to pr- project itself and protract itself out into 2020. In other words, the cattle inventory number is not going to peak until 2020, in their opinion, at 95.2 million head. I think as we got into the numbers uh, over the weekend, we also found some fundamental justification and reasoning for letting go of some longs as well as a result of this report. Switching over now to the hog side again, another round of losses there. They've been kind of feeling off this every time China comes out with a new African swine fever report. We see a little bit of a bump. What else are we seeing here? What do we need to get to feed that bull again? Yeah, what you're seeing right now is no news in African swine fever, and so the trade and its sentiment is regressing to the mean of poor trade issues between the United States and the the Chinese. And what I think you started to see because of the lack of swine fever uh, is the fact that you're seeing the hog and the pork and bean trade once again, whereas several months back those two were both going up kind of counter 
to many of the other commodities. Now they're coming back together, this time going down together because of the uh, infiltration of these trade sanctions. The trade sanctions are really starting to bite, and they're really starting to show up in terms of our loss of agricultural demand into Southeast Asia, especially China. So these are the two things that are going to continue to play. I personally think that the African swine fever is not done with yet. Traditionally, it's very hard to contain, and, and, and in this sense, no news is good news, but in terms of my mindset, no news means they just aren't reporting much, and it'll be interesting to see how things come around with the holidays uh, when they ship a lot of pork and there's a lot of consumption uh, at the live meat market. So we'll see what happens uh, in the next couple, three months. I personally feel like that the hog market has some support in the mid-55s against the December future, like around that 54, 54, 50 area. Mike, for folks that have listened to our conversation today, they like what we're talking about. They want to discuss the markets more with you, maybe set up a plan of action. What is the best way to learn about global commodity analytics? Uh, thank you for asking, Clay. It is a great time. I'm going to the Kansas Cattlemen's Convention on Friday and Saturday, and I just got done doing a brand-new uh, webinar and research report ahead of that. So go to globalanalytics.biz and sign up, and uh, I'll shoot you some information, and that way you can get signed up on a trial, and uh, we can talk personally on the phone. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics on the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.